Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 37 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 28th of February 2010, entitled, God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible reading is taken from John, chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I invite you to... Stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word, beginning in John chapter 14. We'll begin by reading verses 12 through 26. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful privilege that we have of being in your house again today. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we just had the privilege of reading from. Thank you, Lord, for this great promise of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we can have confidence of his presence being with us today. Even today, as we look into your word, Lord, to teach us and guide us into all things, Lord, we pray that his power would be upon us today, that you would be made manifest in our presence, that our hearts would be open, Lord, that you would speak unto us, that we would be receptive in whatever way we need. You know the hearts of each individual. You know the needs of each one. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. In our current series on contending for the faith, we have already established back in 
the 11th. This is sermon number 37. In the 11th sermon in this series, we established the fundamental truth of there being one triune God existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we looked at some fundamental truths about that one true God. And of course, then we spent quite some time looking at a number of truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It may have seemed more natural to have gone at that point to these teachings that we're looking at now concerning God the Holy Spirit. However, we went on to look at, first of all, the the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and secondly, our enemy, Satan, and his attempts to defeat God and to destroy man. And now, with a clear understanding in our minds of who our enemy is and what it is that he's doing, I'd like to direct our attention back to God the Holy Spirit with a view as in the past, of addressing some fundamental truths about him that are essential to our faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as well as some truths that, though not necessarily fundamental to the faith, nevertheless that are extremely important to us as a church for our fellowship, for our unity, for our oneness in functioning together as a body of Christ, hopefully with a clear picture of our enemy, we might recognize more fully the absolute necessity, the absolute need for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. As we've seen, one of the great strategies of Satan is to deceive and to confuse. There are probably very few subjects that you could approach today on which he has been more successful than upon this subject of the Holy Spirit. Even amongst those who we would recognize as being genuinely born again, there are a few things that divide and separate God's people more than the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in this world, in the church, and in the life of Christians individually. You see, Satan is doing his job well. And again, we must be willing to stand and to fight for the great truths concerning this vitally important doctrine from God's Word. There's so very much confusion about the person and work of the Holy Spirit amongst God's people in the world. There are those who deny Him altogether as a person and specifically as a person of the Trinity. And of course, those can only be described as cults. Sad to say, it's not possible that they are part of the same faith, this faith that was once for all delivered to us to contend for, to fight for. It is not possible 
for them to be part of this same faith if they do not even recognize God for who He truly is in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many times He's referred to just as we saw with Satan as a force, as an influence, maybe where Satan was the dark one, he's considered the good one. The charismatic movement, which has infiltrated so many churches right across denominational and church boundaries, they've emphasized many wrong teachings and fleshly experiences in relation to the Holy Spirit. Many things are credited to him that couldn't be farther from God's truth. Now, I accept there are those that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's why that it even breaks my heart more that as Christians that they've been deceived and led astray on some of these truths. And I don't say that because that I somehow think that I'm the only one that has the truth and nobody else has it. As a matter of fact, if I were to confess to you honestly this morning, there was a time in my Christian life when I even began to be pulled in that direction slightly, but it was because of returning to God's Word, to His truths, and earnestly seeking out those truths that I recognized the error that was there. You might say, but preacher, it's so confusing. So many different brands of Christians claiming so many different truths about this matter and all of them saying that, of course, theirs is the biblical view. How do we know? Well, may I remind you that when you stand before God one day and mark it down, you will stand before God, each and every one. You're not going to be judged on what they have said, on what anyone else has said, but you're going to be judged on the pure and simple truth of God. May I remind you, this is the only rule of faith that we have. This is the only pure truth that we have in this world. Is God's truth. We find that it is not for you to accept the words of man or religious groups or any denominational groups or anything of the sort. But your responsibility is to go directly to God's Word and to find the truth from God Himself. Now, I'm going to share some things with you in this sermon and over the next few sermons that I have found to be truth from God's Word. And I will give an account before God one day for sharing these things to you as truth. But I encourage you, even implore you, that you go to God's Word and you find out for yourself, don't just take my word for it. I don't care how much that you love a preacher and respect a preacher and believe that it's the truth, unless it's God Himself that shows you and settles you on any matter. Another preacher will come along and move you from that position to another. Be grounded in the truth. We find that as we look at these simple teachings 
It's vital. It's important that we look at them in their proper context. Don't try to complicate God and His teachings. Don't try to make them something more than what they are. Be careful to compare Scripture with Scripture and don't accept any contradiction because God cannot contradict Himself and His Word cannot contradict Him. God will give you understanding. He will help you to put those truths into practice if you ask Him and genuinely believe and seek it out in His Word and forget about all the things that men have tried to make it. May I warn you and others that may be listening, never turn to or trust your feelings, your emotions, your experiences we're interpreting the truths of God's Word. Many have made that mistake. Allow God's Word to interpret your every emotion, your every experience. You say Satan can confuse and deceive the mind. And he can bring all kinds of weird and wonderful experiences and phenomena along, and he'll certainly take every opportunity to do so if it means that he can deceive or confuse or move anyone away from the truth. The pure Word of God will stand forever. His truth never changes, and Satan cannot change that truth. He can only attempt to make you to believe a lie. Nothing should be the gauge of God's Word, but His Word should be the gauge of of all things. I give you fair warning. Some years ago, probably before many of your times, I would say close to probably 15, 16, 17 years ago, I did a full series on the Holy Spirit when we were looking at some of the doctrines of God. And it wasn't short. <laughs> as with some of the other truths we've looked at. Many Bible colleges would offer a, a whole year's course of study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, on pneumatology. We find that, as with many subjects with God, even then it would not be exhausted. But I'm not here to do a series on the Holy Spirit and I'm not about to be able to cover all the doctrines concerning this tremendous subject. But I do desire in these next few sermons to touch on some important truths that are to be stood upon and fought for as we contend for this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. As we look into God's Word in John chapter 14, you see, I want us to begin with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, we begin here not because that it's the beginning or the inception of the Holy Spirit, just as the day of Pentecost wasn't either, just as the birth of Christ in Bethlehem was not His beginning. We start here because it is 
the promise concerning God the Holy Spirit relating specifically to you and I in the New Testament church, I would refer you back to that sermon once again on the eternal existence of a triune God where we've already established that God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has existed and will continue to exist outside of time for all of eternity. As Christ was preparing to go to the cross, to shed His blood, to die for you and I, He made a clear and specific promise here concerning the Holy Spirit, which I think is an appropriate place for us to begin. We will later return to some of the specific things that we see about him. But today, I want us to look here in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. And it's, it's no coincidence that John chapter 15 is sandwiched between these two. And we'll look at that a bit later. Because two of the subjects as we begin today, the real thing that I want us to look at today is the promise of the Holy Spirit and the person or personality of the Holy Spirit. And as we look in the next few days, I do want to touch on some important subjects, such as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us. But may I take you back here to John chapter 14. And as we look here this morning, I just want us to be reminded of this wonderful promise of His coming to dwell in us and work amongst us. And I want you to see that even in this promise, that it is impossible to separate God the Holy Spirit from God the Son and from God the Father. I know it really, really gets hard for us, our minds to accept and understand a lot of these things, but He's God and we're human. You see, notice I began in verse 12 there. I think I've shared with you in the past. <laughs> Amazing. One of the times in my early ministry when I really, really looked at this verse, oh, wow, <laughs> Jesus talking. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, the works that Jesus Christ himself did, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go unto the Father. May I say to you simply, and try not to complicate it this morning, that that is a phenomenal thing. Jesus Christ, when he was here upon this earth, there's never been a figure that's walked upon this earth that could compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he said, you see the great things that I'm accomplishing in this one body when I'm here being manifest in the flesh for you? He said, because of the fact that I'm going away to the Father, greater works than these are going to be done. Why? Because that same Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, was not going to indwell just one body, but he was going to indwell every believer throughout the New Testament until his return for us one day. It's not because that we can do greater things, but because Jesus still working through us in the person of the Holy Spirit can accomplish those great things for us. Notice 
as he went on, of course, the next two verses or the next three verses is speaking of, of prayer and the importance of that and, of course, the glory that it will bring. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, what's the next word in your Bible? Another comforter. I shall pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. Another comforter. Another Paracletus. We'll, we'll come back to that word in a bit. Another to come alongside you. Remember this. The word that's translated comforter right here in your Bible is the same if you turn to 1 John chapter 2 where he speaks of Jesus Christ being our advocate. It's the exact same word. Paracletus, that one that has come, that one that is called alongside us to be there, to be our aid in whatever way that we need. Jesus Christ was sending another just like himself. He wasn't something new. I'm sending you another Paracletus alongside you, just like that I am here now. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, where he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you in a little while. And the world seeth me no more, but ye shall see me, because I live. You shall live also. Now, he was getting ready to go and die upon the cross. <laughs> but he conquered that death, didn't he? And because that he conquered it, and because he lives, as we sang earlier, we can live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Praise God. Notice that in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will. Come unto him and make our abode with him. We, all of God, folks, all of God is present. Yes, he manifests himself in three persons, but you can't separate him and take away and make any one less God than the other. We find that, again in verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, notice down in verse chapter 16. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will thinketh that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Now listen, this was direct prophecy to his apostles, yes. And they would be put to death, and they would die horrible deaths, all of them we believe except one. And the truth is, is that they were not going to be loved by man, but right down through the centuries. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you ought to get it, you ought to read it. You ought to see what some have been willing to pay for the faith that you and I have to be able to stand here and to have the freedoms to worship that we do today. If you haven't read The Trail of Blood, you ought to get it and you ought to read it. And I've got some copies of both. If you need them and want them, then I'll gladly let you read them. It's not been cheap. And not just those apostles, but many others 
Their lives have been taken and religion has stood there and thought they were doing God a favor in doing so. But in all of that, he says, but these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them and these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me and none of you asketh me whither goest thou. But because I've said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus said. For he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. You see, the promise of the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us, working in us, dwelling in us, making his abode in us, we find that as we look at this great promise, keeping in mind what Jesus was promising us here, I want us to move our thoughts to just what we've already stated earlier, the person of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit. Who is this, this one that has been promised to us a classic Christian work was published 100 years ago this year, entitled The Fundamentals. It was begun in 1909, and it was published in 12 volumes from 1910 until 1915. It was later published in 1917 in four volumes that contained all but a few of the original articles. As two wealthy Christians in California paid for all of this publication that they could get, be given to every pastor and every missionary that they could possibly get them to. It was then republished in 1958 to celebrate its Jubilee year. One of the articles contained in this book was written by one of the original leaders of the committee that was responsible for the oversight of its publication by the name of R.A. Torrey. Now, just like with, with many men of bygone years, you can read behind many of them and you'll find, well, I agree with this and I disagree with that, and there'll, there'll be some good things there and some things that you may not agree with fully. As a matter of fact, I don't agree with everything that R.A. Torrey wrote about the working of the Holy Spirit. But in this article entitled The Personality and Deity of the Holy Spirit, that it's just as timely today as it was 100 years ago. I'd like to read you his introduction to that article. He said, One of the most characteristic and distinctive doctrines of the Christian faith is that of the personality and deity of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the personality of the Holy Spirit 
is of the highest importance, first of all, he says, from the standpoint of worship. If the Holy Spirit is a divine person, worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, and our love, and we do not know and recognize Him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the adoration and love and confidence which are His due. Now let me just say right there and pause before I continue reading. There's a lot of faultlessness sometimes today that somehow we are not to worship the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Bible nowhere tells you not to worship the Holy Spirit. He is God. He deserves your worship. The Holy Spirit Himself will always point you to Jesus Christ, just as Jesus Christ will always point you to the Father. But they are all God. And they are all a person of the triune God that we worship and serve. And they all deserve our adoration and our worship. The doctrine of the personality of the Holy Spirit is also of the highest importance. And he says, not only from the standpoint of worship, but from the practical standpoint. If we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of Him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of and use me? Is there no difference between the thought of the worm using God to thrash the mountain or God using the worm to thrash the mountain? The former conception is low and heathenish, not differing essentially from the thought of the African fetish worshiper who uses his God to do his will. The latter conception is lofty and Christian. We think of the Holy Spirit merely as a power or influence. Our thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But we think of Him as a divine person. Our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get more of me? The former conception leads to self-exaltation. The latter conception to self-humiliation, self-emptying, and self-renunciation. If we think of the Holy Spirit merely as a divine power or influence and then imagine that we have received the Holy Spirit, there will be the temptation to feel as if we belong to a superior order of Christians. A woman once came to me to ask a question and began by saying, before I ask the question, I want you to understand that I am a Holy Ghost woman. The words and the manner of uttering them made me shudder. I could not believe that they were true. But if we think of the Holy Spirit in the biblical way as a divine being of infinite majesty, condescending to dwell in our hearts and take possession of our lives, it will put us in the dust and make us walk very softly before God. And he goes on. Not only from the standpoint of worship, and from a practical standpoint, he says it is of the highest importance for an experimental standpoint that we know the Holy Spirit as a person. Many can testify of the blessing that has come into their own lives from coming to know the Holy Spirit as an ever-present, living, divine friend and helper. There are four lines of proof in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is a person. And he goes on to list... Four lines of proof. There's characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Spirit, the office of the Spirit, and the treatment of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at some of those things later, but the fact is, 
is a boy, he hit the nail 100 years ago. He hit that nail smack on the head just as true as he would today. He was speaking those same words. And just as surely, whether from a standpoint of worship, from a practical standpoint or an experimental or experiential standpoint, it is of the highest importance that we know and recognize the Holy Spirit as a person for who He is as 100% God. Now, in doing that, how do we define a person? What are we talking about? I think we've got to be careful how we use the term, and especially when we're speaking of a member of the Trinity. You see, when we refer to mankind, we refer to a person having separate organisms and therefore often refer to the body when we speak of a person. With God, we refer to personal distinctions, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that clearly distinguish them as separate persons, but yet one God. Defining a person or personality speaks not of the body that we live and dwell within, but it speaks of intelligence, emotion, and volition. Or some would describe it as knowledge, feeling, and will. These are the characteristics that are said to make a living thing a person. There are many things that are alive that are still not a person. We speak not of a body, but as a real person that has intelligence, emotion, and volition of his own will. By personality of the Holy Spirit, we mean that the Holy Spirit contains in himself the elements of personal existence just as surely as the Father and the Son, though we cannot separate them one from another. Now, the task, I mean, to even attempt to truly define the personality of any one of the Godhead, of a divine being, it's, it's immeasurable. Can you imagine if you had the task of measuring the world, the earth's circumference, and all you had to do it with was a 12-inch ruler? <laughs> Can you imagine trying to measure this world with a 12-inch ruler? Or maybe you had the task of measuring just how water, how much water was in the ocean. But all you've got to measure it with is a teaspoon that you stir your tea with. You've got to measure the entire ocean with that. Folks, th those illustrations are not far off for us in our humanity to try to grasp the immeasurability of a divine being of a divine person, because all we have, all we have to know divinity is God, His Word, His truth, because there is no divinity in us. We find that as we attempt to define the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, secondly, I want to declare to you some proofs from Scripture. Now, there are many. There are many. But I want to just look at a few of them with you this morning. First of all, 
If it's intelligence, emotion, and volition that make a person a person, let me just give you a few verses. And you can find many more in the Scriptures. But let me just give you a few verses. First of all, what we read in, in our text in John chapter 14, notice what it said there in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, and it goes on. The Spirit of truth. Of what truth? Of God's truth. He knows God's truth. He is the Spirit of truth, the only truth that there is. Notice in verse 26, but the Comforter when He, but the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, and, and by the way, uh, you know, your Muslim friends try to tell you that the Comforter described here, the, the Paracletus, is actually Muhammad, and that it's our corrupted Bibles that has made Him into the Holy Spirit. But God's Word says, but the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall what? Teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. If he's going to teach you something, then he's got to know something. He's got to have the, the intelligence and the knowledge himself to be able to do that. Notice in chapter 16 and in verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, the same one we just identified over there, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you all things to come. He's going to bring you all the things from God the Father, the Spirit of truth. He's the one that has that knowledge. And in all three of these verses are just a few examples that he is referred to with the personal pronouns, and which is further proof of his being a person God himself refers to this person as having the intelligence to be able to teach us and guide us into all things. There is nothing short in the intelligence that he has. Now, notice in Romans chapter 8 and verse 27. Romans chapter 8. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to what? To the will of God. He's able to search our minds and hearts, the depths that we don't even know ourselves, and know exactly how to pray when we don't know how to pray, because he knows the perfect will of God in every instance. Look back into your Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, and in verse 20, he says, Thou gavest us all thy good spirit. To what? To instruct them. And withholdest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Even in the Old Testament. Though the Holy Spirit wasn't given to every believer as it is in the New Testament, He was still there. He was still at work. He was still instructing God's people even in those days. And then one final one in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice what it says beginning in verse 9. He says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We can't even begin to comprehend in our minds what God has for us. But, God hath revealed them to us by what? By His Spirit. The Spirit knows. He knows all that lies, not just now, the past. He knows what the future holds for us as well. 
For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? That he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. I mean, these are just an example of the Bible making it so clear. These verses are not merely describing some illuminating power or a great influence, but a person that is possessed of intellect and able to pass that knowledge on to others, particularly onto you and I today in understanding God's spiritual things. So intelligence. The second we said that makes a person a person is emotion. Well, look back in our text again in John chapter 14 to start with. Again, in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. He cares. He cares. He's a comforter that's going to come and stand alongside us and, and meet our needs. Notice what he said in verse 26 again, But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he's the one that's going to come. Notice in chapter 15 and verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Chapter 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart four times, the Holy Spirit is referred to here in these verses as the Comforter, as the Paracletus as one who is called, as that same one that, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, is referred to as our advocate. The King James Bible Word book states that it is being one who is called for any purpose or need, whether to strengthen, to console, to guide, to instruct, to plead and intercede for or otherwise to aid. He is the one that has been called alongside us to live and dwell within us more precisely. And He is there to be our advocate, our helper, our aid in time of need. You see, the Holy Spirit cares for us. We know also, if you look back into the book of Romans again in chapter 15, here speaking of our salvation, in Romans chapter 15, notice what he says in verse 30. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for what? And for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We find that the Spirit not only cares and comes alongside to be our aid, but the Bible clearly speaks of the Spirit being able to love here, the love of the Spirit. Notice back in Romans chapter 8 again, and in verse 26, 
Likewise, the Spirit also does what? Helpeth our infirmities. But we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with what? With groanings which cannot be uttered. He groans for us in our infirmities. When we're struggling, when we're under the weight of it, the Bible says the Holy Spirit groans for us and prays the prayer that needs to be prayed. And of course, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to most all of you in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 30, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. There's no question of his intelligence. There's certainly no question here from these passages and many more that we could look at of his emotion, of his caring, of his loving, of his groaning for us and our infirmities, of being able to be grieved. But thirdly, what about volition? Well, look back at our text again. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, we find again, notice in verses 8 to 11, and when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye uh, see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He's the one. He's the one out of his volition that's convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. You find in verse 13, that same Holy Spirit is the one that we've already looked at, that He will guide you into all truth. That's His volition. That's His will. He's going to take us. He's not only going to convict the world of sin, He's going to guide the child of God into all truth, if that's truly what we want in our lives. Notice in chapter 16 and verse 14, He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, Jesus Christ says. His own volition, His own will is to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to glorify Him, that He might receive all the glory for it. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what he says Picking up in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now here we're talking about the gifts at work amongst the body of Christ. Now, the simple truth is that in verses 4, verses 5, and verses 6, that we once again, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all tied together in the working of these gifts in our midst. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. 
but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally. What are the next three words in your Bible? As he, the Holy Spirit, will. It's his choice. It's not ours. Now, we could get into a whole other thing here on the gifts. Yes, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the church needs the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in its midst. But we also have to realize that all of these gifts are not with us today. Some gifts were there for the apostles for a specific purpose. But there are gifts for everyone today to work not for yourself, but for the good of the church. If we could grasp that, if we could understand that we come together not for me, not for what I can get out of this, but what I can do for the whole body is to be used for them, not for my satisfaction. It's not so we can come together and show off how spiritual that we are. It's not so we can come together to even get more spiritual. It's that we might come together, that we might be a prophet to someone else, that we might build up someone else in the body. And our gifts are always used for the benefit of others, not for ourselves, not for our own selfish gains. We find that only then will the body truly be strong. Oh, you can have some emotional hooplas, and, you know, I, I enjoy being happy. I much prefer being happy than sad. <laughs> and sometimes, to be quite honest, you know, I, you know we're, not, we're not looking to try to work people's emotions up to get them doing things in the motions. But, you know, every once in a while, a little amen or a praise the Lord or a hallelujah, a little bit of glory don't hurt in a church. <laughs> the truth is, is that... What I want you to grasp here at this moment is the Holy Spirit. We see his intelligence, his emotion, and we see very clearly his, his volition, his will at work. And if you look in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, you find those simple words, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. It's possible. You know, you know the word there literally carries away. It's the idea of us taking cold water and throwing it on something to stifle it out. Don't stifle out the works of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now we can look at so many places in Scripture and if you want these passages, you come and see me afterwards and I'll give them to you because my time is gone. Even you'll only be so patient with me. Amen. We could look at some of the places in Scripture. A couple of the things that R.A. Torrey went to point out in his article of course, we see his personal actions. A person attributed to him such as personal things attributed to him such as searching, speaking, crying out, bearing testimony, making intercession, teaching, leading and guiding, calling, commissioning for services. We see him all of these things, actions of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We also see the personal treatment towards him, against him, when he's rebelled against, when he's grieved, when he's lied to, when he's blasphemed. These are things that can only be done against a person. It's also clear in our text here in John chapter 14 through 16 that Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, our Lord, was personally promising that the Holy Spirit was going to be his personal replacement in our lives even though that Jesus was still going to be present through the Holy Spirit, I'm going so that I can send Him to be your paraclete, to be your advocate, to be there with you. I'm not leaving you comfortless. I'm not leaving you without that help. 
without that aid, for that one to be there with you. And of course, it's wonderful when we begin to understand that it's they. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are abiding in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We see with utmost clarity, folks, the Scriptures themselves, God's truth. And we'll look at some other things, but today I want you to leave your understanding and recognizing two things. The promise that was made to you and I for the Holy Spirit to come and make His abode with us. And that that Holy Spirit is a person, a divine person of the one triune God that we have. The Scriptures declare it. There is unquestionable proof. We find that as we look at these things, we see it in the personal characteristics he possesses, the personal pronouns and names of things that he's called, the personal actions he performs, the personal treatment he receives, the personal replacement of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all to do with a person. Now, if the Bible, as God's Word, is what we're going to believe, and if that's what we're going to place our faith in, then I declare to you with absolute certainty the simple and clear truth of the person and personality of God the Holy Spirit. He's real. He is a person. The real final question that I want to leave each and every one of you today, number one, is He present in you? That only takes place. That can only come when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see in these coming days, God willing, if the Lord tarries, Believe me, if the rapture takes place, you won't need to worry about it. <laughs> but we'll come to understand, hopefully, that it's the Holy Spirit's work that can convict you of your sin. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He uses God's Word. He's the only one that convicts you. And if by God's grace you're here today and you don't have that certainty of knowing that you're saved, don't shun Him. <laughs> don't put Him away. Don't commit the unpardonable sin by blaspheming the Holy Spirit and just accrediting His work to something else, to someone else, if it's Him that's there doing His work, you need to yield to Him today. You need to come put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We'll take God's Word and show you exactly how you can leave here knowing that today. Or as a child of God, if you're a child of God, He does live within you. We'll come to see. He does. There is no question about that. He lives there. But does He have control of your life today? Is He controlling your life or are you controlling it yourself? God, I mean the creator of the universe. Can you imagine? Jesus promised to do the works through you that he did himself when he was here in the flesh. Jesus wants to accomplish in this world. Jesus wants to. It's the, it's the, it's the light of Christ that needs to be showing, showing through our lives and shining from our lives. Is Christ controlling your life today? If not, won't you give him control today? Once you recognize He is there, and He wants control of your life, He is there to accomplish the impossible. There is nothing, nothing that is impossible with our God. Mm -hmm.